0: Thanks for tuning in to this week's message on the Antioch Indie Podcast. We're a church that exists to preach the gospel of the kingdom and to make others great. We hope you encounter Jesus today while you listen to this message. Have an amazing day. Thank you, Heather. Thank you. So at Andrew's in Burma, got a text from him this morning. He said he's getting rocked, so that means Andrew may come back pretty darn excited. And I don't know about y'all, but that scares me a little bit (laughs) because Andrew's already testing all of us, don't you think? Um, But I think he's going to come back even more excited than when he left. So we're praying for him and really excited about that. It's so great to be here and actually great to be inside on a morning like this, isn't it? Praise God. Each January, we ask God for a word for our church. And then we use January to listen to God for what he's saying to us about that word. And what how is he trying to guide this body of believers? This year's word is the gloves are off. Honestly, we've been pretty honest that we don't fully understand this word. We're a little confused by this word. But as Andrew has pointed out, it just means that when God gives us something that's a little bit confusing, he just wants to tell us more about something that he already knows. So we feel fully that as we dive into this word and we uh, investigate it and listen to him, that we're going to learn more and some incredibly exciting things about this word. The first week was that the gloves are off my God, both in the sense of his touch. There's nothing between his touch in our lives. There's nothing between God and us. The gloves are off. And 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 also in the sense of his power. God is on the move. He is on the move and the world, his will is going to be done. The gloves are off. And week two was about the gloves are off us, myself, the gloves off myself. I got to take the gloves off that are keeping anything insulating me from anything that God wants to take. We walk around with a little bit of insulation of not wanting God to quite go there or there, and we're taking the gloves off. And that's the word for this year, both that. The gloves are off. And this week, the message is, the gloves are off my church. The gloves are off my church. And we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 13, and we'll eventually get there, so you can start turning there uh, when the Bible's in front of you or on your phones or wherever you need to be. Um, we're a feedback church, we're a participation sport church, so you can both agree, disagree, anything you want to do during this service, this is good for us. This week, um, since the beginning of God's plan, God has revealed himself, his love, his power, his glory through a people group devoted to him. A people group devoted to his rule and reign, both on he- in heaven, but also devoted to bring his rule and reign The earth. He would live among those people, in them and through them, and through this people, the rest of the world would come to know God. The people were not unique in themselves, they were not in any way special. In fact, that was the point. They were like everyone else in every way, and the only distinction was that God dwelt among them, and that fact alone made them unique in every way. See, God's plan was that the world would see the reflection of God in this group of people and that they would say in their hearts, I want what they have. I I have to have what they have. I need the God that is their God. Daniel was kind of a reflection of the way it's supposed to go. Daniel was so different that everyone noticed him. Even when he was in exile, everybody noticed Daniel was different. And some guys that wanted to take him down, they looked and they said, if we want to take Daniel down, the only thing we'll be able to come against him with is going to have something to do with him serving God. Because we can't find any unrighteousness in him. The only way they could come through him is through his God. And Daniel's life stands out that he was stood, stood so differently that eventually even the king looked and said, you know, I've served a lot of gods. I've known a lot of gods, but I've never known a God like Daniel's God. Daniel's God will be my God. We, God's people, have this same glorious call to live as a community of believers that others will look at and say, I want their Jesus. I want the Jesus they carry. That's so exciting. In the Old Testament, God chose the Israelites. There were some times of success, and there was a lot of times of failure. Sometimes they would lived as he commanded, but a lot of times they just left him, stopped seeking his presence, and they just simply lived the way that they wanted to live. In the New Testament, God called his people his church. God would now live inside of his people. And his people would reflect him and make him known. Like in the Old Testament, building a community of devoted followers proved to be difficult. And many of the epistles that are written in the scriptures are correcting behavior, thought processes, and actions that were happening inside of God's people. Making himself known through a group of people, it's a great plan. It's a perfect plan. I know this for sure because it's God's plan. But history shows that God's plan has a problematic element. God's plan to let himself known reflected through a group of people actually includes real people. (laughs) The problematic element is that it actually includes living, real, live human beings. God's plan includes me and you, and that's proven to be a challenge. (laughs) Let's be honest. God's plan looks great on paper, but I've been in churches for 35 years. I've been on boards of ministries for 35 years. I've been a part of Christian communities for 35 years, and I'm just saying, it's not been easy. We can get real about people for a minute, just for a few minutes, people like you and me. We have all kinds of different preferences, different measurements, different boundaries. We have some different interpretations of the scriptures and we definitely bring all kinds of ideas on how church ought to be done. And we bring all that to church with us every week. I was at a conference going to a conference full of Christians about building the church in the rest of the world and on the bus ride to the conference. One of the brothers heard that I preached and he asked me this question. Do you preach at a real church or a church that allows coffee in the sanctuary? I thought, I usually know how to answer some questions. And I thought, I got nothing. Yes, I preach at a real church, and yes, we allow coffee in the sanctuary. (laughs) I know of churches where people have brought actual decibel meters into the worship service so that they could go to the leadership and record and tell them that by the data, our worship is louder than a jet airplane taking off. It's Shetland. Worship style? I have sat in pre-worship meetings... And had somebody, a young person by the way, say, we don't need all the gymnastics of the arm waving and the moving around. People that do that are just showing off. It's a known undeniable fact that a group of followers have lost their love for Jesus and are now about production and show the second you introduce a smoke machine into the worship service. (laughs) And just so you don't think I'm just talking about them, I'm going to stand next to my sin for a minute. See these light strips? We started the church. I love this church. I'm excited about the church. And I walk in and I see these light strips the first week. And right away I go, here we go. Strobe lights. Headaches. It's all begun. Now it's funny. It's funny, but those light strips scared me. Now listen to me. I've been with this church from the get-go. I love this church as much as anybody of believers I've ever loved in all my life. I believed in this church more than any. My son is the pastor. And I got tripped up by light strips. And that scared me. That scared me. And I felt this huge warning come across me into my body that said, Steve, you're still carrying all your preferences, all your history, all your disappointments, all your hurts, and all your judgments into this church body. And son, that's dangerous. The reality is that there are endless points for possible separation among us. Preaching styles, is it topical, book by book, verse by verse, worship style, song choices, volume, hand raising or movement, prayer, leadership style, life group formats, governance roles, roles of women, number of staff, communication, handling of finances, how fast emails are answered, does the pastor remember my name, I can keep going if you want. All of these at some time have sown a seed of a division in a body of believers. There are all kinds of different histories coming into this church. And there are different visions for the future of this church. We need to be real and know that the points of separation, of possible separation, are endless. But they don't have to happen. (laughs) But I want to tell you... These kinds of things, they cause hurt by a church or at least disappointment, and often leads to cynicism. And I was there. I got cynical. And I want to tell you something. Cynicism is no place for a follower of Jesus. You just don't want any cynicism carried around your body. There's no place for it in a follower of Jesus. It's poison. But I want to tell you, I'm back. <laughs> I'm back, and I'm believing. I'm back knowing my church and other churches are the hope of the world. The church is God's plan A. And he was so confident of his plan A, there is no plan B. So we're going after it we love God, we believe God, we trust God, and the church is God's plan, so we press forward in this church with full confidence. We can and we will be known as a body of believers that will reflect God's glory. We believe we will make him known to the world. People will know that he dwells here, not because of our programs, not because of our talents, not because of our teaching. They will sense the Holy spirit. The second that they hit the doors, they will meet Jesus when they meet us and they will want God because of what they see in us. Not because we're perfect, but simply because we carry Jesus inside of us. That's it. It's that simple. So the gloves are off. We're going to leave our junk outside. And we're going to bring Jesus inside. And we're going to believe in the dream of God. And we're going to be the church of God. And we are going to cheer other churches on to experience the same thing. We're going to be some of their biggest fans. How? How? (laughs) How how does a flawed group of people become a testimony of God to the world? The vision, it's outlined in 1 Corinthians 13. Turn with me there, please. Although this passage is often used for weddings, love is patient, love is kind, love is beautiful. And it's actually beautiful. The teaching by Paul recorded in 1 Corinthians was actually not about marriage at all, it is actually about the relationship between the body of believers. The Corinthian church was having lots and lots of relational problems. And Paul hears about these issues in his letter is actually him discipling churches into how to be a body of believers, discipling them on how to live God's dream, how to be the church of Jesus. How important is the teaching we're about to look at? Well, let me tell you, chapter 13 actually follows chapter 12. That will shock you. Chapter 12 actually talks all about the spiritual gifts. And chapter 12 is all about Paul saying, you can't believe how important these spiritual gifts are. You can't believe how powerful these spiritual gifts are. You can't believe that we want all that we have in these spiritual gifts. These spiritual gifts are huge. And yet Paul says at the end of chapter 12 and launching us into teaching for today, in 1231 he says, but earnestly desire the gifts and I show you a more excellent way the teaching we are about to look at is even more important than the spiritual gifts. This word, love, what is more important than our spiritual gifts? It's love. This word, love, it rolls off our tongue pretty easy sometimes. And I think we need to be a little bit more careful because this love, it's a big word. It actually means Should it be needed, I will choose to pay a great personal price for you. That's a big statement. Love of Paul is talking about is the deepest kind of love, the kind of deep abiding love that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all have for one another. And that's not free. That's not free. So let's read through Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians starts, verse 1. If I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a glanging, or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor and I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not jealous does not brag it's not arrogant it does not act unbecomingly it does not seek its own it's not provoked it does not take into account a wrong suffered it does not rejoice in unrighteousness but rejoices with truth bears all things believes all things hopes all things endures all things love never fails but if there are gifts of prophecy they will be done away with if there are tongues they will cease if there is knowledge it will be done away with for we know in part And we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child. I think like a child, reason like a child. But when I became a man, I did away with those childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then, face to face, now I know in part. But then, I will know fully, just as I also have been known fully, fully known. But now faith, hope, love abides, these three. But the greatest of these, it's love. So how? How? What is the how of this love? It seems like we need to read 1 Corinthians 13 and then just do it. But that's quite a list. In the simplest language, in the simplest language, Here's what it all says, to love each other. Do not envy, do not boast, do not be proud, do not be rude, do not be self-seeking, do not be easily angered, do not record wrongs, Do always seek the truth, protect everyone else, always trust, always hope, always persevere. There you have it. I think we just add that to our membership guidelines, have you guys sign off, and we're good to go. I've read that list a 100 times. And when I've tried it on my own, when I've done it in the flesh at best, I'm five for 15 with my wife and kids at best. And with you all, three for 15. (laughs) It's not possible. G.K. Chesterton said this, it is not that Christianity has been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and therefore untried. We need to acknowledge Christian community has been found to be difficult. It's just the truth. Is this list overwhelming to you? Is your first thought, no wonder churches struggle? This is impossible. I understand that, but can I flip it on us? Can I flip it on us? Instead of us being overwhelmed, can I invite us to be challenged? Can I invite us to be excited? Can I invite us to choose to be inspired and believe? This list is overwhelming, as it should be. Remember, God's plan is for showing the world that he is real, he is powerful, he is loving, and he's got everything. For him to show himself to the world, doesn't he have to do something that looks impossible? If we, if it were easy, would anybody be impressed? If it were common, would anybody run to God? If it was just something we can diagram, program, institute and execute, would it win the world for Jesus? If a community achieves these things, listen to me, this is why we should be inspired. If a community achieves these things, even just tasting them at first and growing in them little by little, it will be for one reason. God is living among them. Just taste and be growing and there's only one possible way. It means God will be here among us. If people experiences community that lives out 1 corinthians 13 then we will be experiencing god himself and that should be inspiring to us that's why we should not be intimidated but instead excited not dejected but inspired if we can do this if we can carry jesus it's because Jerry, jesus is carrying us Paul wrote this about his life in 1 Corinthians 9, 23. He said, I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Paul was not ashamed to say, I am living the gospel so that I can partake in the gospel. Nothing to be ashamed of. I'm doing this so that I can also experience it. In bringing Jesus to others, it means we will be partaking in Jesus ourselves. And that makes any price paid, any sacrifice made, so worth it. Let's uh, let this list inspire us. Let's let it build this community here and among us, a community that loves and is willing to pay a cost for loving each other. Because we love well, it means God's here. What does First Corinthians look like lived out day to day? That's kind of a big ask. As you can see, the list is long in-depth. I'm going to encourage you to take some time to do a deep dive on your own and go verse by verse in this chapter. I'm going to encourage you to, with by, with and by the power of the Holy Spirit, pray, listen to God, and go over each one of these words and ask God to reveal what it is that you may be strong in or what you may be weak in. Please take that deep dive on your own. But for this morning, I am going to attempt to put all of 1 Corinthians 13 into three guiding principles that I believe if we carry will mean that we are doing a pretty good job at capturing the principles of 1 Corinthians 13. First, always assume that there is much more going on than what you see and what you know. If we are a community that always assumes that there's much more going on than what we see and what we know, we will carry so much of what is listed in 1 Corinthians 13. As far as the God's list goes, I believe this assumption will mean we are growing in kindness, we are dying to pride and boasting, we are protecting each other, and we are seeking the truth, and we are actually persevering for each other. All wrapped up in this assumption. About five years ago, I was in a time of receiving some very direct words from God about me. And one morning, God woke me up about three in the morning with this statement. Steve, you are judgmental and you are way too confident in your own discernments. When in fact, listen to this part, you have never made a fully informed decision in your entire life. It didn't, listen to this though, It didn't feel harsh. It felt like an invitation into something greater. And I thought about it. It was 100% true. There's never been a time in my life when I made a decision where I knew 100% of what was going on in the person's lives, the group lives, the people lives. There was always more God knew than I knew. That doesn't mean my decisions were wrong, but it did mean that my proclamations needed to turn into submissions. And it meant my statements, a lot of them needed to turn into questions. I will share, it sounds like this in my heart, what I feel like God was saying. Say, I will share what I think, but I know that there's much more going on that I do not know. So I submit to you, And I hope God will confirm. A funny thing started to happen. (laughs) People wanted to talk to me more than they used to, (laughs) including my own children. It's just the truth. They felt safer around me, they didn't feel defensive. They felt free to ask their questions, and they just felt safer. And we, we're supposed to feel safe. One of the things that marks a follower of Jesus will impact the way we treat and love other people is the humility to know for certain that there are things, so many things that God knows that we don't. So do not judge. And it means as we grow in Jesus, we will submit more, proclaim less, and more of our statements will be submitted as questions. And that's a great thing. Next one follows closely to the first one, but goes even deeper. Assume the best about everyone in every situation. As far as God's list goes, I believe this living this out would mean that we are being patient, kind, slow to anger, protecting one another, keeping short accounts, trusting one another, and sowing hope. Assume everyone is doing the best when they're And no matter what they're doing, that's wonderful. Not easy, but it's wonderful. When you are feeling hurt because of a misgreeting, a mistaken name, an unreturned email, a phone call, or a text, when you're tempted to be offended because of seemingly a short response, a harsh word, or an offensive tone, or a question that sparks your defenses, assume that there was a really good reason for that. Assume the person cares. Assume that there was something going on in their life. Assume the best about that person and assume that over time, the more you learn about that person and or the situation, the more you will understand that response. Living that way will help us put our offenses behind us quickly. And if we do that, it'll be amazing. Amazing. I'm an elder here at the church, and recently I had a conversation with two couples around a question that the leadership had made. It was fantastic and so refreshing because they came with the assumption that there were things that they didn't know, that there were facts that they didn't have. They so obviously assumed the best about the leadership and the best about the church. It was fabulous. And this approach allowed for a great outcome. Because either it allowed them to learn more about the situation and realize there was no concern for their question, or it allowed a safe place for us to realize we made a mistake and easily say and learn from our mistakes, or it allowed a halfway point. Everything felt so safe. Who cares who's wrong? This leads to truth-seeking. This kind of approach of assuming the best about people, it means that the truth can be sought because it's safe to seek the truth. Both parties are far more likely and willing to want to change or adjust a position when it is approached that both sides are assuming the best about each other. Another benefit, assuming the best in the body will allow us people to ask Of people to say yes to an ask and allow us to say no to an ask without judgment. When the answer to serve or to lead or to take a trip has to be a no, we have to assume that our people have a good reason for that no. Family situations, financial situations, whatever it is, there's a good reason for that no. Assuming the best will allow us to bless a no as much as we commend a yes. And that's the mark of a body of Christ. This assuming the best also comes into play when listening to a preacher. Or to, yeah, I, that's why I waited a little bit down the line to bring this one out. But can I tell you the truth? This is a problem in the body of Christ. It's assuming also the best about a preacher, but also someone speaking about give and take or leading your life group or just listening someone in the lobby. A speaker or a leader or someone who has a limited amount of time, often they, we, me, don't get to say it exactly like we meant it. And we don't get to fully explain it. And we most certainly can't bring in every angle that we feel is valid to the way to look at this. We're admitting that up front, And so we have to assume that if you have more chance with the person that you have just heard something that's uncomfortable, assume that if you had more time to sit with them and have a give and take, that you would land at a place of peace for both of you. Just carry that assumption. When you leave a conversation with someone in the lobby or a worship night or a life group that made you a little comfortable, assume that more time with that person will bring unity and not separation. Just carry that assumption and we'll be different. Assume the best about every decision made in a situation that you know a little bit about. I was um, serving at a church. We were going into a worship Um, Pre-meeting, and somebody a lot of comment was being made about how many people we had on stage, how many instruments we had, and specifically how many bass guitarists do you need? I went into that pre-service meeting. There was prayer. We were talking about the meeting, and I noticed one guy, new bass guitarist, couldn't stop crying. Didn't ever say a word. Just couldn't stop crying. Afterward, he comes up to me and he says, "I with trembling lips." I can't believe I get to use my gifts to worship God this morning. A <sighs> little bit of an attitude shift. How many people can we fit up here now? <laughs> what other gifts can we do? Tambourines? <laughs> it changes the attitude. Some of these sound like little things, but in truth, they are game changers. These little things are where seeds are sown that divide a body. I want to make a comment and give a caution about an argument that is often raised at this point, and that's quoting Ephesians 4.15. Yes, Steve, but we need to speak the truth in love. Okay. I've seen this verse weaponized among the believers. I've seen this verse weaponized. It's used to give permission for me to say anything I want to a person and expect them to welcome it and even enjoy it. After all, it's just the truth in love. I have a couple things to say about that. First, I wanna tell you that speaking the truth in love assumes that you know the truth. Please revert back to points one and two. We need to be less certain that you know the truth. I was just in Ukraine and this, an example was shared where they are so on alert for pride and they're in a choir and a woman was holding out her book Far out like this among the choir, farther out than anybody else heard it. It was a pride problem because she was showing off. And someone had to speak the truth in love, only to find out she just had poor eyesight and couldn't see her books. Truth in love. Second, I believe Paul, talking in this verse, was talking about the gospel. It was not a permission verse for us to tell one another what we thought about it. He was saying, speak the gospel in truth and love. So we need to be careful. And it actually can be translated speak, can be translated hold. That verse could be translated hold the truth in love. So let's just be cautious. Third, the people you are sharing with your truth are human beings. And they have hearts and they have feelings. Yes, even your pastors, and their wives. Criticism hurts. Criticism hurts, even when it's true. So be kind. Do it in an appropriate setting, knowing there's a human being on the other side of receiving that truth. And see point one, again, guard your hearts, and I ask you to submit more than you proclaim, and ask more than you make statements. In this body, it will make a difference. The third and the final th- is freely and truly be about making others great. Whew, I love this one. It's one of our core values. Will we as a people be freely and truly about making others great? I believe on God's list, this covers envy, boasting, self seeking, and sowing hope. Envy is ugly and it's eaten me alive envy means a feeling of unhappiness over another's good fortune. Can I share a realization about envy that makes it even uglier than we think? I do not envy people that are successful in areas where I don't have strength and I don't want recognition. I don't have any problem with Emily getting as much praise for her worship leading as as you want to give her. That's right. Bring it on. Oh, come on. I don't struggle at all with Jordan getting praise for his administrative gifts. I don't struggle with Beth or Anna or Priscilla about the kids program. I don't struggle with that because I don't have any strength in there. I don't have any gifting in that. And so I'm free that they get all they want. However... Where it is much more dangerous is when Karis, Andrew, or Heather rocks a sermon like they do. That's where envy will strike me. It will strike us in areas that we wanna be known. (laughs) Why would this be? Can I tell you, when we look at the genesis of this, it helps. It's because we believe that somehow someone else being considered great takes away from some measure of greatness that we could have laid on ourselves. And that's just not true. I actually have a little seed of jealousy inside of me that says, if you get yours, there's a little less for me. That's from Satan, and not only that, it's ridiculous and yet we fall for it. One of my favorite statements has been driven home at this church is that we are Jesus followers and we live in this truth. We, you are already going to be everything that Jesus wants you to be and you're gonna get every praise and worship that he wants you to get. So guess what? We're free to make everyone else great. And if, Lord, if we would carry that truth, if we carry that faith, we'll be free because it will mean that we are complete in Jesus and we're free. That's the awesome thing about the truth of this message. The second we start thinking that this is about Antioch, Indy, second we start thinking of we're going to be the first First Corinthians church, the second we start thinking about we're going to be the best First Corinthians church, the second we start thinking we're going to be the only First Corinthians church, we have by definition violated the very teaching itself and we have failed. We will be a First Corinthians church when we sincerely pray for other churches to thrive. Other churches are known for thriving in the very that we also want to be known for thriving. When we are a church that celebrates every time God chooses to make another church great, then and only then can we be a 1 Corinthians church. Praise God. When Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 13, he was not giving a new law. He was not giving us a checklist to do. Paul was describing a people, a people indwelt with the love of God. Paul was describing Jesus people. I was fearful because of my history, because of what I knew, because of what it caused at times. I knew that being a part of this church could hurt. It could hurt my son and daughter who would lead this church because I've watched leaders get badly crushed in churches and I was afraid of watching them get hurt. I was afraid it would hurt because I knew I would fall in love with people I've seen people be badly wounded by churches and leave, and starting this church meant I might lose some of you, that I love I'm not afraid anymore I'm not afraid anymore doing life with all of you you've changed me you've changed me forever I'm not afraid because I think more and more as individuals and as a body we are beholding Jesus in there for more and more and more We are becoming Jesus, and we are being set free. This is not happening because of who we are. It's happening because of who he is. He made a promise and said, if you will love me, I will come, and I will make my home among you. And he has made his home, and I believe we have simply cried out, invited him. We want to thank you again for listening to this week's message. If you'd like to connect with us further, you can check us out on social media at Antioch Indy, or go to our website, (laughs) www.antiochindie.com.